people of all ages, from kids to the teens to the adults here in the sanctuary, come together for a time of equipping. For a time of equipping. Putting God's word first. Amen. And then after our 10-minute break, as we've always done, we come back together for our worship service. The emphasis being on our worship to the Lord. We worship the Lord in many ways, right? It is all-encompassing of our tithes and offerings, our singing, our preaching. We worship Him in spirit and in truth, giving Him what is right, not what is left. It is a time of empowerment. And last but certainly not least, our times together on Wednesday night will be called Bible Study which will be a time of education. Amen. The pastoral team, along with myself and beyond, encourage you to continue and to make it a point to be here and to refer. Amen, and thank you. Uh, This morning, I would like to turn your attention to the book of Luke, chapter 14. Luke, chapter 14, and as you are turning there, I would like us to stand for the reading of the word, please. Luke chapter 14, beginning with verse number 7. And he put forth a parable to those which were bidden, when he marked how they chose out the chief rooms, saying unto them, When thou art bidden of any man to a wedding, sit not down in the highest room, lest a more honorable man than thou be bidden of him. And he that bade thee and him come and say to thee, Give this man place, and thou begin with shame to take the lowest room. But when thou art bidden, go and sit down in the lowest room, that when he that bade thee cometh, he may say unto thee, Friend, go up higher. Then shalt thou have worship in the presence of them that sit at meat with thee. For whosoever exalteth himself shall be abased. And he that humbleth humbleth himself shall be exalted. For the next few minutes, I would like to teach, preach, and prayerfully equip you on this thought right from verse 11, and that is stay humble. Stay humble. And as you're taking your seats, I wonder if we can go to the Lord in prayer for just a moment. Jesus, you are the author and the finisher of our faith. I thank you, Lord, that we can put our trust in you, find our hope in you, and receive the promises of your word. I thank you for your word, which is quick and powerful, that which is able to divide soul and spirits and joints and marrow. Lord, right now I take captive every thought and bring them into your obedience and your truth. I bind every distraction and thing that may be trying to deter anyone from receiving your word today. Lord, may the words that I speak be nothing more and nothing less than what you desire for your church. I thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name, and everybody say amen. Amen. Amid so many sinful things that can and do claim people, whether claiming their time, their money, their innocence, their purity, their conscience, and more. While adultery may slay its thousands and disobedience may claim its millions, there is one thing that stands out beyond that, and that is pride. Pride will outdistance both, causing individuals to be lost. But Trevor, God's grace covers a multitude of sins. And for that, you better believe I am thankful for. Or I would have been struck dead many years ago. But pride, pride is a nasty thing. 
When present, it is that which comes from the heart. Pride will not allow a person to receive that grace that is freely given. Why? Because who does God give grace to? According to James, God resisteth the proud, but gives grace unto the humble. He gives grace to the humble. On the same token, pride will be the downfall of far more people than all the other sins combined. There is only one cure for pride, and that is humbling oneself before the Lord. It is then, and only then, when a person is positioned to receive God's grace and His mercy. Moreover, no one can do this for us. No one can make me humble. We must do it ourselves. We must first realize and then change that. It comes around time and time again where we find ourselves at a crossroad, perhaps, if you will, of whether to stay humble or to be filled with pride. Which way will you choose? We must humble ourselves because when we do, as James continues, he will exalt you. He will lift you up. Are you thankful for that? Are you thankful that he will lift you up? Hmm. Hallelujah. But what is it? What is it with pride that makes it superior or, or greater to the point of being the greater downfall than any other sin? What are the dangers of pride? In the book of Proverbs, which I'm going to reference a few times today, Proverbs 16, verse 18 said, Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. You see, pride leads to a fall, the first danger. What can be overlooked or looked over from this verse is, is the very depths of the implication in this well-known and often quoted verse of Scripture. The relationship between pride and destruction is significant. If pride is present, destruction will certainly follow. If destruction has come, pride was unquestionably a source or a central factor in the equation that produced it. In anything we may go through in life, from the decisions we make to the moves that we make, to, to doing one thing a certain way or another, certain causes produce certain effects. If I forget to take the trash to the curb on a Thursday night, it's not going to be picked up on a Friday. If I forget to, uh, I don't know, tie my shoes before I go out the door, it's going to be a bother to me all day. Certain causes have certain effects. And since pride is listed in the word as sin, and since death is a parallel thought with destruction, then it follows that as death follows sin, destruction follows pride. Pride, as we know it, is something one can be quick to recognize in a person, but, but can also overlook and not equate destruction with it. It is not difficult to recognize the many, uh, many of the characteristics of a proud person, such as haughty or arrogant comments, facial expressions, or sometimes even the proverbial 
nose in the air. But when we see a marriage, a relationship, a family that's been destroyed, or, or a business or anything at all that has come to horrible ruin, we often do not recognize the part that pride played in that demise. And please understand, please, when I tell you of these things relating to pride, I'm not telling you to merely speculate every situation and just be quick to say, oh, that happened because of pride. Or, yeah, pride started that. But more so to take it into account. In Genesis 19, we read of an angelic visitation in the city of Sodom, the moral corruption of its citizens, and the judgment that fell upon them. And if we turn over to Ezekiel 16, the list of reasons that God sent judgment to Sodom, beginning with verse 49, Behold, this was the iniquity of thy sister Sodom, verse 49, pride, fullness of bread, an abundance of idleness was in her and in her daughters, neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor and needy, and they were haughty and committed abomination before me. Therefore I took them away and I, as I saw good." It was not their immorality or lust that topped the list. It was pride. Committed abomination was the last item on the list, and it came only after the statement, and they were haughty. God's reference to the one sin in which the city was infamous came only after the two previous references to their pride. It was not their homosexuality that placed Sodom beyond the mercy of God. It was their pride. Yes, homosexuality is a sinful behavior that the Lord can forgive and from which He has, is, and will continue to set a person free. But pride, pride will not allow a person to repent. Without repentance from sin, there can be no mercy. Proverbs 28, 13 says, He that covereth his sin shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. You see, pride has the potential to place a man or a woman beyond the grace of God. When a person is beyond God's grace, destruction is imminent. Pride distances a person from God's grace because it prevents the humility necessary for one to receive God's grace. And as we think on that, so I want to remind you again that God gives grace to the humble, but He resists the proud. 1 John 2.16 lists three things in the Word that comprise the basis of all sin and temptation, showing that pride is the byproduct of worldliness. 1 John 2.16 For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, and the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. From these three things, all sin can be classified. All sin can be grouped. The term lust is defined as a longing, especially for that which is forbidden. 
A longing in and of itself is, is not necessarily evil or forbidden. Why? I long to be more like Him. I long to make sure my family continues to live for Him. I long to see my unsaved loved ones be saved. I long to do whatever the Lord's will is for my life. I have a longing for these things. But this longing, this forbidden longing, this lust is evil. Why? Because it violates God's Word. It violates God's Word. Another definition of lust is inordinate desire. One can also find that it is defined as exceeding reasonable limits, immoderate or not regulated, disorderly. So, inordinate desire is that which exceeds reasonable limits. Are you all still with me? Hallelujah. You see, the desires we read in 1 John 2 are, are actually God-given motivations that are taken out of the parameters that God established for them. For example, the lust of the flesh is seen in three basic areas. Sleep, eating and drinking, and sexual activity. These are all appetites or desires of the flesh that are not evil or sinful within their God-designed place. That is why Scripture can speak of sleep as a blessing from God, but can also call too much sleep slothfulness. Anyone in here slept a solid 12 to 13 hours straight? I know I've done it a time or two. And I can safely say, at least in my experience, that every time I've done that, I woke up more tired than when I went to sleep. This is not me telling you how much to sleep, okay? I, 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 do, do I think that there's a reason that's been uh, advised over the years to sleep a solid seven to eight hours and no more than 10 to 12? Possibly. But again, uh, th this verse is not saying anything specific about hours of sleep, or regarding the amount of hours, but, but is more so referencing that if it's done in excess, whatever that may be for you, when it becomes something that deters you from other things, when it becomes a bad thing, it becomes that slothful behavior. And that slothful behavior is likened to sin. In regards to eating, the celebration of holy days that we read about in Exodus includes instructions from God to eat. Somebody say amen. However, God condemns eating in excess. In the same vein of thought, as we read Hebrews 13.4, marriage is honorable in all and the bed undefiled, but hold on. But in the same verse, the writer of Hebrews continues, but whoremongers and adulterers God will judge. This sexual promiscuity that is mentioned in any sexual, act, is any sexual activity outside of uh, the bounds of the marriage of one man and one woman. You see, pride is another human desire that, that is wrong when taken outside of the reasonable setting and limits. God designed mankind to have dominion over the creation. And cre He created mankind in His own image. The, the, these give us reason enough to have a reasonable amount of confidence and self-worth. 
I am created in the image of God. I am a child of the one true king. With God, I have worth. But when this God-given sense of value and worth is taken outside of our relationship with God, it becomes selfish, human pride. You see, many things in our modern world can cause personal pride. The multitude of worldly possessions can easily cause a person to have confidence in them and not the Lord, which is pride. The advances of modern science can cause some individuals to put their trust in human ability more than God. Pride flows from worldliness and is strengthened by it. The more increase we see in modern technology and knowledge, the more mankind is inclined to trust proudly in them. But but allow me to declare to you that the greatest wisdom and accomplishments of men and women pale in comparison to the riches and wonders of God. He alone is worthy to be exalted. He alone is worthy to be praised. He alone is worthy to be lifted up above all and through all and in you all. Well, amen. Lastly, pride is found in the comparison with one another. The proud person makes the assumption that that he is better than others, or at least independent of others, including God. Paul wrote to the Corinthians, telling them that they think they can stand apart from God to take heed, or those that think they can stand apart from God to take heed lest they fall. In Luke 18, in what is referred to as the parable of the Pharisee and the publican, thank you, Jesus. Jesus says, beginning with verse 9, and he spake this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves that were right, that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up to the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee and the other a publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, even as this publican. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the publican, standing afar off, would not lift up so much as his eyes to heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone that exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. The Pharisee was doing the right thing, coming to the temple to pray. But during his prayer, he thanked God that he was not like these other men. He did good to recognize that they were extortionists that they were tax collectors, that they were publicans, that they were unjust individuals, that they were adulterers, but was pridefully misguided when he judged himself to be not like them. He compared only what was able to be seen with the eye, the outward actions of those who had sinned around him, but failed to consider the proud, judgmental condition of his own heart. 
And while we read about these worldly things, these ideas, and what have you concerning pride, and the importance of being watchful of our own hearts to recognize when something may be arising, namely in the form of pride, I want to now turn your attention, turn your attention, if you will, to, to what humility brings. Okay, so we're shifting gears just a little bit. I want to share with you what blessings come from being and staying humble. The first, humility brings prosperity. Proverbs 22.4, we read, By humility and the fear of the Lord are riches, honor, and life. Riches, honor, and life are things that everyone desires. Yet the path that leads to obtaining of, the obtaining of these coveted possessions is not a path that everyone takes. Genuine prosperity comes through humility and the fear of the Lord. And are you ready? Real prosperity is more than making money. Real prosperity involves spiritual growth. When Jesus asked, what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? We can read this as a rhetorical question with the understanding that the value of the spiritual is much greater than the value of the physical. When Jesus asked in Luke 16, 11, if therefore ye have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches? These true riches are those which are found in heaven. It is those which are found in our spiritual pursuits. They are that which are only obtained by humbly seeking the Lord Jesus Christ. Wealth is also a byproduct of humility and the fear of the Lord. A humble man recognizes his ability to gain wealth comes from God. His ability to do so comes from God. He understands that all he might acquire still belongs to God. A humble man understands that he brought nothing into this world and he will take nothing out. He recognizes that every person will give an account of all the wealth that God allows him to obtain as to whether or not he uses it for God's purpose. Spiritual prosperity balances and helps a person deal appropriately with the physical prosperity. Material gain without the character to use it for God's purpose is a curse. God will provide all of our needs. He will ever provide blessing beyond meeting our needs as He is able to trust us with it. The next thing that Humility brings his greatness in the kingdom. In Mark 9, we read of one day the disciples having a great debate. They were, they were in a heated debate. Each one was convinced that, that he would be the obvious choice to be the head official in the coming kingdom of the Lord. Jesus approached them and asked, What was it ye disputed, disputed excuse me, among yourselves, by the way? Or, What were you debating so fervently about? To which the disciples tucked their head between their shoulders. And they stuck their hands in their proverbial pockets in shame. But Jesus took the moment as a teaching opportunity. Look at verse 35. And he sat down and called the twelve and said unto them, 
If any man desire to be first, the same shall be last of all and servant of all. The disciples had a longing desire to be the first in the kingdom. But they did not realize that seeking that revered place would guarantee their failure to attain it. In fact, the harder they worked to gain a place of prominence, the more decidedly they would lose it. The way to greatness in the kingdom of God is the path that leads to servitude and humility. Along that same line in Matthew 18, the disciples mustered up all the courage they could to come boldly before Jesus and ask him outright, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Can you imagine mustering up the courage to ask Jesus that? They revered him in such a way, they're like, Should we do it? Let's do it. I I really want to know. Who's greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Oh, Jesus. The Lord called a child and set him. If I had my daughter with me, I'd set her right here. The Lord called a child and set him in the middle of the group. He then revealed to them that they would all have to become like this child if they were going to enter the kingdom of heaven, much less be the greatest. He ended with verse 4 saying, Whoever therefore shall humble himself as the little child, the same is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Greatness in the kingdom. Furthermore, the story of the Pharisee and the publican also illustrates the way to greatness. The Pharisee, as we read about moments ago, sought to lift himself up. I'm not like them, remember? (laughs) They are doing all these things over here. I'm doing everything right. (laughs) Easy. Which resulted in thus praying with himself. In other words, God didn't recognize the the self-centered and vain talk. On the other hand, the publican sought God by acknowledging his sin and desperate need of God's mercy. Remember, he said, God! Be merciful to me, a sinner. He was less worried about those who were around him and how he fared with them and more worried with his relationship with God. Oh, help me, Jesus. You you see, sometimes we can get into a place where we're worried about what this person's doing over here or about what they think of me or what they're going to say about me when all we should really be worried about is what God desires for me. If God desires for me to walk the path straight, I'm going to walk the path straight. If God desires for me to not do a certain thing, I'm not going to do that certain thing. If God desires for me to, to see, to see, what he wants me to see I want to make sure I'm walking as he wants me to walk so I can see that you know and it may be contagious because as I'm walking so John might start walking too so Terry might start walking too you know because they see that like ah I want that too because you're not looking to the left or to the right no you're looking straight at Jesus you're saying Jesus God be merciful to me a sinner help me Lord hallelujah hallelujah Oh, there, there was a change of heart. There, there, two side, there, there, two, two sides to this coin. I just, I just can't imagine being 
being the Pharisee, and I, and I wonder if I've ever found myself in the shoes of the Pharisee saying, oh, they did this, oh, they did that. God, help me to realize my own problems, to realize when pride is stirring up inside of me so that I can furthermore give that to the Lord so he can take that thought, so he can take that action that I want to take and take it away and help me to deal with it. He surrendered to the fact that he was not righteous. He didn't defend his own righteousness. He didn't give his list of, well, I, I gave my tithes this week. I really worshipped you hard on Sunday, Lord. I, I didn't do anything wrong on Monday. I, I may have said one thing to my coworker on Tuesday. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost. I, I, may, I, I may have not wanted to, to come to church on Wednesday. I, I, I really just wanted to stay in bed and sleep a little longer on Thursday. He didn't list all these things. He said, God, be merciful to me a sinner, and he allowed God to deal with him. He allowed God to make those changes. He did not lift himself up, but he lifted up the Lord of his life, saying, Lord, you are my all in all. Lord, you are my everything. I need more of you. <laughs> he discovered that the road to the elevating power of mercy was paved in humility, was paved in humility. And last but certainly not least, humility brings grace. Grace is the arm of God that extends to the lost individual and pulls him or her out of sin and gives salvation. Hallelujah. Grace is the essence of salvation because it both, it's both the power and the willingness of God to save. Grace is available to all people, but not all individuals will benefit from God's grace. Grace is free, but it does have a, a specific prerequisite. Grace is only given to the humble. No proud person can receive it. Pride does not disqualify one. Hear me. Pride does not disqualify one from receiving grace, but it causes God to resist the individual. Paul writes in Romans 1, revealing the result of this resistance. He mentions those who refuse to acknowledge God and those who are unthankful. They, they trusted their own wisdom and they followed their own lusts. This was followed by committing hideous immoral acts amongst themselves. Finally, because they did not even want to be reminded of God, he gave them over to a reprobate mind. Reprobate is defined as unapproved, morally unprincipled, shameless, or rejected by God. It is a point where a person is totally incapable of repentance and destined for damnation. It is not that God haphazardly or just randomly decided, yep, that person is going to be lost. No, it is the person who chose that path. There it is. They chose the path of prideful resistance to God's grace with the result that God eventually reciprocated that resistance back to them and resisted them. But church, this does not have to be. This does not have to be. God gives grace to the humble. 
The Lord is near to those who have a contrite spirit. The sacrifice he desires is one that comes from a person of humility, from from a mindset of humility. God dwells with the humble. He is attentive to the humble. He promises revival to those who humble themselves. God honors humility, but he rejects and resists the proud. The way into the grace of God is through humility. And in bringing all this back around to our main text for this morning, Jesus is reversing the rules that were governing social situations. He desired to see the change, he desired to change the rules of their behavior. He desired to reverse the norm. He desires the same even today. Jesus is saying that humility is more important than being ex- esteemed or exalted. As we read, when you, when you go to a party or any type of gathering, take the less prestigious seat and let your host elevate you. <laughs> let the Lord of hosts elevate you you. It is putting others before yourself. It is inviting those people to our tables that may not be able to invite us back. Jesus is calling us to this principle of giving without any hope of a return of what we have given. (laughs) To change our attitude as such, as Jesus says, and to humble ourselves. To be humble and to stay humble. And as we humble ourselves, so we will be lifted up. And on the contrary, if we exalt ourselves we will be abased. As we humble ourselves, Jesus will take us where we need to go. Jesus will provide our every need. Hallelujah. And I'm thankful that we have the greatest example of humility found from the very foundation of the world in our Lord Jesus Christ. He lowered himself to become a little lower than the angels. He allowed his own to speak to him with hatred, malcontent, and disrespect. In all points, he became the perfect example of humility. And concerning our Savior, Paul wrote in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. Jesus made himself of no reputation. Jesus consciously chose to humble himself so that all mankind could have the opportunity to receive salvation. He became a servant and served many who were the lowest on the social ladder. He was even willing to humble himself unto death by one of the most demeaning forms of execution even conceived by the wretched mind of man. All while this, while humbly and patiently enduring it all for us. I know we've just got a few minutes left here, but but, but church, we've got some big shoes to fill in following the footsteps of the master. Ask yourself, am I willing to make myself of no reputation? Am I willing to put others before myself? Am I willing to analyze and work through where I may be falling short? Is there any pride that is in me that you, Lord, need to remove? May the Lord help us all to learn the heart of a servant and take heed to his words. I wonder if we can just spend the next few moments in prayer. And we can pray to the Lord and, and just ask him to search our hearts. Go ahead and start praying all over this place. Come on, I encourage you right now to, to find that place with him in prayer. 
Lord, right now, make me aware. Say, make me aware of anything I need to change. And Lord, further show me in your word. Lead me by your word on how to fix it, oh God. Lord, as you show that which needs to be revealed, may we be overcome with humility, saying, thank you, Lord, for showing me. God, I humble myself before you. God, be, be merciful to me, a sinner. Lord, thank you. Thank you, oh God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We thank you, Lord, that, that you show us the things we need to do, that, that you show us the path we need to take, that your word is quick and powerful, that your word is sharper than any two-edged sword, that your word is quick to show us the way we need to go to lead us in the paths of righteousness for your name's sake, oh God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We thank you, oh God, for every opportunity. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. It's time to get to work. Hallelujah. I wonder if there are some people here today who will allow God to do some deep digging in their hearts. That is where God wants to reside. Go ahead and let him search the very depths of your hearts for just a moment. We've got a few minutes here, and, and if we want to just flow this right into second, or our worship service, let's go ahead and do that. Lord, we thank you, God. Search the very depths of our hearts. Lord, we desire that you reside right there in, in the deepest pockets of our heart, Lord Jesus. God, if there's anything that's in there that is not of you, help us to remove it. God, show us how we need to do so. God, And go ahead, Lord, and just remove that from us and as you remove that Lord fill us up fill us up so that we can have more of you oh Jesus our every desire should be that which is found in you our every hope is that which is found in you our peace is found in you our joy is found in you our provisions are found in you without you we have nothing without you we can do nothing without you Lord we do not have life but with you Lord we have that life everlasting Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Why don't you clap your hands to the Lord all over this place and just begin to thank him. Hallelujah. 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 And I want to leave you with this. It is the Lord's desire to use us for his purposes and to direct us along his path. But first, we must learn to humble ourselves. And obey. And with that, why don't we just put an encore on that clap all over this place? Thank you, Jesus. God. Oh, we desire more of you, Jesus. Hallelujah. 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 God bless you all. In Jesus' name, come back in about 10 minutes for our worship service. God bless you. Amen.